Then there was sound, and the sound was good. <laughs> Maranatha, amen. Welcome to today's Bible study. We're in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 2. Um, we're starting with the third church today, the third of seven, the church of Pergamos. And uh, hey, I, I, when I was studying this, I felt that it would be good if I went back to the beginning of chapter 2 and read the first and second church and then read the church that we're going to be studying today. But our main focus will literally be verses 12 through 17. But I think to grab the heart because there's some interesting aspects of this church that we saw in the other churches. So I'll read the text. We'll go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive into the scripture. The Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 2 to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Therefore, I'm sorry, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works of the first, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and have not denied my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which nobody knows except him who receives it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. We bless you, Lord, for
for the privilege to be alive right now and to be your sons and daughters. And God, have your way among us. Help us to understand your word and your heart. Help us to make the right applications into our life uh, congregationally, but also individually. Lord, that we might be these overcomers, that we might have ears to hear and a heart, a drive to do the things that you would have us to do. May we be found faithful in your eyes, Lord. And anything and everything that is not of you, Lord, we pray that you would bind in the name of Jesus, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here among us just as it is where you are. And it's in Jesus' most worthy name that we pray, amen. So the third of the seven churches, Pergamos, before I begin, Maranatha, amen, well done. Your Bible might title them as the compromising church in which they are. There was compromise that was inside there. Um, I also see this, and the reason why I read the first and second church, aspects that were in the first and second church, both of those things are taking place in this church. It's almost like if it was true that the churches are giving us an outline of not only the then and there, but also historically what would be taking place, you could see why people would really think that. Because there were some that held the line no matter what was going on, even though they did ministry in Satan's backyard, perhaps even his front yard. Jesus himself says, that's where Satan has set up his throne, and he, he dwells there. He lives there among the people. The spirit of Satan was there, and using people, even to killing Christians. But he said, but you held the line. But two different kinds of false doctrine had come in to really corrupt things. And we really saw that. We saw that in the Loveless Church. They held the line, but there was some bogus theology that had crept in. And then last Sunday, when we were looking at Smyrna, we saw people who held the line in the midst of all chaos, radical persecution taking against the church, but they still held the line. With that being said, I see like a divided church here. There were some that were... They're even commended for being right. As this slide shows, and we're moving through the churches, we're in the third church now there, or on the far north. Smyrna was 60, uh, this church rather, Pergamos, was 60 miles north of Smyrna. It was inland about 20 miles. Today, it's in Turkey. The city is known as uh, Bergama. Pergamos was considered the first area to mass produce what we call parchments. Parchments were, Paul wrote about that. It was like a very thin leather that they would write their, the scriptures were written on it, but also other books uh, were written. It was like a paper-like product. We get our word parchments from the word Pergamos. Pergamos, they say, housed the second largest library in the known region at that time with over 200,000 volumes of handwritten scrolls. Interesting, interestingly enough, the Roman general Mark Anthony gave this library to Egypt's queen Cleopatra as a gift. Pergamus was a very dark, dark place. As Jesus himself stated, where Satan's throne is, and where Satan dwells. Pergamos housed one of the seven wonders of the world that was the temple to Zeus. It also housed the temple 
of Aesculapius, the deity of medicine. He's also known as the Pergamese god that originated here in this place. Something about Aesculapius, there were writings inside his temple that said Aesculapius Soter, translated into English, means Aesculapius the Savior or Aesculapius our Savior. Aesculapius was, was born a man. They, uh, in Greek mythology, he would, became this deity of, most people know him as the snake god. One of the ways that they would worship in this temple, it was like a, a, a reset, you know, the old school kind of sunken living rooms that we used to have? They had a big area like that. And it was said to have over a thousand venomous snakes inside there. And worshipers of this false god would walk in the midst of those snakes, lay down on the ground, and their hope was that venomous snakes would climb over them or slither over them because in their superstition they believed that they were being infused by the power of the god Escapulus. Superstition, medicine, and science. His symbol was that of a staff with a snake that was wrapped around it. Some say this is how we got our medical symbol today. I had planned to put up pictures of this, but then I thought better of putting up fake gods inside God's house. So I just, enough to define it without putting up the pictures in God's house. Pergamus also was known for the epicenter of emperor worship. Remember last week, if you were here, if you watched it online, we learned about how Rome was okay with people worshiping any god they wanted to do, other than one time a year they needed to, to bow down, offer incense to the emperor of Rome, whoever that might have been. This place in 29 AD built the first temple to worship the emperor Caesar as God. It is said to have a very, very large bowl in which its worshipers would come in and throw incense in this burning bowl and they would offer incense to a man, um, the Roman emperor. And apparently there was a chant back then that said, offer incense to Caesar or we will offer you to Caesar. And allegedly, amongst the incense would be the people who held the line for Jesus Christ. We have no record of Antipas' death, that faithful martyr that Jesus called by name. It is believed that he was offered on the altar. That we do not know. There's kind of a little background of the then and there of the church in which we're studying today. Let's jump back to verse 12 and dive into the scriptures. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Like Raul had even prayed, that the Lord is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Matter of fact, in Revelation 19 and verse 15, we read that this sword is used to remove evil. The Bible says, now out of his mouth, speaking of Jesus Christ, out of Jesus' mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. So there is an aspect of the word of God that literally gets rid of that which is evil. 
right here, right now, for Christian people, we're also told this in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, the very scriptures that you are holding in your hand right now, the word of God is living and it is powerful. How many of y'all believe that? Let me see your hand if you believe that. That's pretty good. That's real good, actually. The word, because the Bible says so. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, right now, beloved, I believe that we have an opportunity to allow the Word of God to read us, even more than we're reading the Word, but that, that we would let the Word... Are we lining up to what the Word of God says? The Bible says that it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. It, it, it reveals us to us. You know, there's a thing about a mirror that I hate, that it reflects the truth. <laughs> like, ah, I'm still short. Ah, I still don't have hair. Ah, the Dunlap disease is still there. You know, <laughs> kind of, ah. You know, the most popular color of clothing is black because black hides shadows. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Anyway. But the Word of God is like a mirror for us. If we would allow the word of God to read us, it reveals us to us. Where are we where God wants us to be? The word of God still, beloved, today is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 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 and it, so it shows us that, but it also this. It, it, it is, a, is a discerner. There's other spiritual discerners, but this is one of the primary. Prayer is another great one. But it is a, is it a, that's all, folks. It is a discerner of the thought, our thoughts and our intents. It has been stated by wiser men that we judge ourselves by our intent, but we judge others by their actions. And man, when I read this verse, I think, oh, how true. Oh, how true. But the Bible is really discerning us. We've learned of King Jesus this morning, right now, in this definition um, with Pergamos. He is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Verse 13 goes on to say this, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know where you are. I know how hard it is for you. Something really interesting about this word know or I know. The other two churches, the Greek word for know was oidia. And oidia was a word that, that helped the reader understand like empathy, or it was a knowledge by, inner, uh, by experience. I, I've been there, I've done that. There is an empathy with the, uh, that which is being communicated. But here, it, 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 this I know in verse 13, a different Greek word is used. 
It's Ido. And Ido means that I see. I am aware and I understand. It isn't so much an, an empathy because Satan has no power over Jesus whatsoever. But what he's saying is, I see what's going on. I understand. I am 100% aware of everything that's going on around you. And I know that you are doing a good job in the midst of it, is what he says. These commendations, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you're doing. I know where you live. And I know all the craziness that is going on. And I know that you have kept my faith. Beloved, Jesus knows the struggles that you are going through because the Bible says so. And he is still the solution to any problem in our life. That we would look to him, that we would go to his word, that, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but, but, that it, but that with everything, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, with everything in our life that's going on, that we would lean towards him, his will, his purpose, his plan, his heart, and he would lead us in the proper path literally guide us, and if we would let him. Beloved, I believe spiritually it's almost like he holds our hand and says, come on. And when we have no strength, he's helping pull us through it. It is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by the Spirit of God that of anything that we can do. And God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, he says I do, I know, I am aware, I understand. But wow, just think then and there. There's probably been places in your life, cities that you've gone into, where you think, wow, Satan has a stronghold here. There's a lot of craziness here. People, their first trip into Haiti, when they land, they get off the plane and they just, immediately they're like, oh, this is a dark place. Or people land in India, like, oh, what was that? Hello. There's just, there's, there's just strongholds around the world. We read that a lot even in the book of Daniel. But, but do you know, I mean, Jesus says where Satan's throne is. I mean, if I was back there, I'd say, remove his throne. Come on. <laughs> Hook a brother up, you know, kind of a thing. It's like, what? And then, he, and then he even, where Satan dwells. You know, the Bible... Sometimes I wish the Bible spoke a lot more about Satan in the, in the spiritual battle, but it doesn't. And the more that I've thought about that and prayed about that, I felt like the Lord says, you know, the world is having enough trouble with the word that I've already given them. If I've given them more, they're going to complicate it even more. But there are a few things that we do know about Satan. In the book of Job, or Job, however you pronounce it, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says this, now there was in the now there was a day when the sons of God came and presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Do y'all catch that? That means Satan went up to heaven. Just FYI. He was cast out, and now him and his running buddies, other demons, go and present themselves before God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where did you come? Not because the Lord didn't know. I believe this is written for our understanding. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Like, what? Y'all remember when, when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He, his desire is for you. He desires to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus says, but I've prayed for your faith. 
I think if I was Peter, I'd be like, well, hold up, time, time out, time out, time out. I appreciate the prayer for my faith. I need more of that. But stop him. Don't let him come. Jesus was literally telling Peter that, that the devil's coming for you. He's gunning for you. And before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Here in the book of Job, we read that Satan was, it just wanders to and fro on the earth, going back and forth. Job 2, 2 also says the same thing. But beloved, don't worry. One of the reasons that there will be a new heaven is because there will be no remembrance of sin. There will never be a trace of Lucifer in the new heaven and on the new earth. Revelation 12, verse 10 says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for that accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. There will be a day when Satan is thrown out forever. Right now, he is constantly making accusations against those who love Jesus. But don't worry about that either, because the Bible tells us this in Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It's almost like, it's not this in totality, but it's almost like the enemy is on the left and Jesus is on the right. There's an accusation made. Did you see the thoughts in their head? Did you, you know the intent of what so-and-so was doing? And then Jesus is essentially saying, but I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. There is a spiritual battle going on regardless of whether we see it or not. The reality of what is taking place is that there is a conqueror, King Jesus. There also is a, a, an adversary, the devil, and his dominion. The Bible tells us in Ephesians six twelve, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our big problem is not Republican or Democrat or everything in between. It's Satan. That's the big problem. That's the, the, the big problem isn't something that some problem that came into our house or an ought that we have against another brother, the big or sister. The problem is Satan. We do not wrestle against human and human. Contextually, Jew against Gentile. There's no prejudice in God. There's, it, what didn't matter. All the, men made all these problems. But, but what the devil does is he whispers in willing ears. And gets them to, to bid his plan, to do whatever it is that he wants. It can just be accusation. Bible says the accuser of the brethren. The devil does his best works in partial truths or in accusations. It may be even never happened, but he just plants the seed. And then we, as frail human beings, oh, that's true. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been alone, maybe driving, or I don't know, this happens to me a lot in the shower, I don't know why in the shower, but it's like I can have these incredible arguments in my head, you know, okay, next time the theologian hits me with that, boom, oh, there's my comeback, I got it, you know, has that ever happened to you? You have these little arguments in your head, that other person is even there, but man, you're a good arguer by yourself, right? Well, the Bible tells us to hold our thoughts captive, hold our thoughts captive unto the obedience of Christ. And the end of that section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that if our obedience is played all the way through, 
then the Lord will take care of that problem. He will fight our battles for us, and we do not have to fight them. Because in truth, it is not by might, nor is it by power. We're not, we're not supposed to be strong in our own flesh. The big picture is here. That's, that, this is the life in that, in that we live in. Um, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 18 talk a lot about Satan, if you were interested. But I've read the end of the book. Uh, he loses and Jesus wins. There's the cliff notes. So Maranatha. I do think that it's healthy because we're talking about Satan's backyard, that it is spoken publicly in church. Um, a lot of times people think that Satan and Jesus are like opposites, or like Satan and God are like opposites, but, but that, beloved, that is not true at all. Um, our God is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere at all times. The devil cannot. The devil is another created being. He, he's not the opposite of God. He's more like the opposite of humans. Because he was an angel in which was created. An eternal being in his creation, yes. Where we, post-fall, are temporal. Or we will die. We're not eternal. Our body is not. This body will die. Our spirit will live on. God will give us a new body which is eternal. Satan is more like the opposite of human. He is not the opposite of God. He cannot be everywhere at one time. Our God... Uh, is, is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan knows a whole lot more than we give him credit for. A whole lot. A matter of fact, some people believe that, that, that the, the spirits don't even know things that are taking place in the future. If that was true, then why do the demons say to Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? Because they know their time. They're... <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Our God is omnipotent too, which means that he is all-powerful. There is nothing more powerful than our God. Nothing. No matter how big, bad, scary, ugly the demonic realm looks or is, and they are powerful, no doubt. I, I think they, if God lifted up his finger, we're hosed. But they are nothing. They are nothing for the Holy Spirit. Nothing at all. Beloved, I mean, I want to labor this point, but there have been times in, that literally in places where demonic activity was really bad, literally believers walking in the room, the people fall down. The, the demon sees their body and then you rebuke them in the name of Jesus and they're gone. Sometimes it takes longer, yes, but the majority of the time it's instantaneous. And the presence of God is there. The darkness flees. Satan is just another created being. He creates havoc. The Bible tells us he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't buy into the lie that you can't beat him. Don't buy into the lie that Satan made me do this. It's probably true he tempted you, but you have free will. You made a choice to, to disobey God and to obey the evil one. So don't buy into that, I can't get out of this. Let me, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is still in the business of moving mountains. He's still in the business of making new ways when there is no way. There is nothing that is impossible for our God. So when we feel temptation or struggle or pressure or attack, or maybe 
These are few and far between, but this happens. And there are many in this church who have literally at night been attacked by evil presences, choked out in your bed, knocked over, that kind of stuff. Don't let those things slow you down. Maybe you opened up boxes in your BC days before Jesus that you should have never opened. And maybe because you've been in those doors, those doors haunt you to this present day. But do not buy into the lie. Jesus' blood is more sufficient as a Savior than any of your sins are. He can save you from the pit of hell. Read Psalms 40. I waited patiently upon the Lord. He was stuck in the miry pit. The Lord reached down there and grabbed him. Read what miry clay means in the Old Testament. Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. He tries to trick us. He tries to make us feel that we're held in bondage. Jesus is the solution. In John 16, when Jesus was teaching his disciples stuff like this, he says to them, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Like what? Where Satan lives? Yes, I've spoken these things that in, in me, Jesus says, you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If Jesus said I've overcome, beloved, he has. He, whatever he says, it's, it's, it's done. It's a done. If he said it, it's a done deal. The devil will come and say, well, yeah, that's, that's good for other people, but not for you. That's a lie. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And he is a much greater savior than you are a sinner. And you might have been a good sinner, but he's still a great savior. He's a greater savior. He is a greater savior than all of our sins put together times a billion. His blood, we are told, is sufficient, not for our sins only, but also for the sin of the entire world. Hallelujah. Sometimes bad things do happen. We read that Antipas was even died here, died for the faith. And on that note, I want you to know this, that there is nothing that will happen that God doesn't permit. And if God allows something to happen, it's because he knew there was something better that we didn't know about. I promise you. Sometimes we do really bad things, and, and like the children of Israel... When they were grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And then the Lord says to Moses, you know, these, these ten times, these people grumbling and complaining. And he basically lifts up his pinky and then snakes come in there and start biting the children of Israel. And they start falling over dead because of grumblings and complainings. Why did God allow stuff like that to happen? Because of sin. Because of disobedience. Because of rebellion against God. Because of not really loving God with all their heart. For not really loving Him as they were supposed to. God allowed things to teach us a lesson. Or to teach them a lesson. And for us today, it serves as a lesson. Why do good people die? Why do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes we just don't have all of the answers because we don't understand the things that God is doing. I also believe that Satan is doing anything and everything that he can to complicate things here in this present time. And I, think we, I don't think we should be blaming Satan so much for it because a lot of times we allow the bad things to happen. 
But it's strange, you know, like if you get an insurance policy, there's a clause, act of God. It's not God's fault. It should be act of Satan. It's, it's, <laughs> God didn't make us sin. The serpent, hey, check this out. And we we're like, hey, neat, yeah, kind of a thing. God is always right. Sometimes I've wondered that. Like even when it came when my mom died, I thought, God, this isn't fair. This happened too fast. This was too soon. My dad and my sister were getting these very encouraging words from the Lord. And the word I got from the Lord was, you're selfish. And I would pray like, God, I want her back. God, why? Stuff like that. That's the word I got, you're selfish. I'm like, what? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? It felt so hard in, in the midst of all of that, and I didn't understand any of it until one day when we were out in a place where, where my mom and dad, we, we were a kid, they told us, you know, when, when we die, we want our ashes to be here, and so we went there and um, did exactly what, what, what my mom's wishes were and stuff like that, and you know, I'm the guy, I'm the oldest son, I got to act like I'm strong, inside I'm dying, and I really don't even want to be there, I want to, you know, respect everything, but, but this is horrible, I hate being here, I hate everything about this kind of a thing, and uh, uh, we had wave runners where we were, and I got on one and just took off, I just needed to be alone, I needed to breathe on my own. And not be strong for anybody else. And, and, and I'm there and I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm in this middle of this, this big area, big valley, high, hundred, few hundred feet cliffs around me and stuff like that. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm just, me and God are talking. Well, I'm talking. I'm complaining probably more than anything. And, um, and I, I believe I saw, like, a vi- like, I think the Lord allowed me to see a vision. And I saw my mom. And she was dressed in white and out in the middle, like, real far away. But it's like, it's like, like in my heart, like, I knew that. And it was like, like that. And then all of a sudden, there was probably millions. She was dressed in white, almost just there. And, and, um, Smiling and happy is what it looked like to me. It felt very peaceful. Um, and, and it was like, boom, there she was. And then that fast, it was like this whole valley was just filled up with millions of other people that were dressed in white, dressed in white with her. And they went up the, the cliffs and covered as far as the eye could see. And then, I was like, and then it was gone. And then I hit the gas to try to get in there, but, but it, was, it, was, it was like that fast. It was done and gone. But, but in that moment, in that snap, it was like everything's okay. For months and months and months and months, I, I struggled. I pastored the, the church in Frisco when this was going on. People were leaving the church because, because I hurt. And, and, it, and it was so weird. Well, if you hurt, then how's it, were anybody else going to have hope? And, and I'm like... <laughs> I don't know why I hurt, I just hurt, you know? And, and anyway, it, I mean, it, was, it was tough for many, many reasons until God gave me that. Until I read the verse that God pulls some of his people out to save them from what is coming. 
And when I jumped forward just about a year after my mom's death and the hell that broke loose through our family, and a few people in, in our family had, have even stated, I wonder if, because we don't know if Nini could have took this. And maybe God saved her from what was going on. I don't know. That's God's call. But what I do know, that God is right even when it doesn't make any sense. Because in the end, one day when we look into the eyes of Jesus, I think everything will make sense. And until then, we are going to have tribulation. But Jesus said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Antipas, who died here in this city, also shows us something else that I think is really important. That no matter how evil the environment may be around us, it is very possible to still be faithful or to be faithful still in the midst of literally where Satan dwells. And I want to change gears a little bit now for something that I think is really important that we would never forget. We're studying the book of Acts on Wednesday nights here, and one of the things that we're seeing a lot is the early church suffered for the faith. And sometimes here, you know, we jump forward a couple thousand years and we're in a first century and all that, and we kind of feel like suffering is not supposed to be a part of us. We're supposed to have lollipops and kissy poos and, and see rainbows and cottontail bunnies and stuff like Everything's supposed to be really, really nice. But for the first century church, second century, third century, and even onto the dark ages, and even to our brothers and sisters around the world, even to this present day, being a Christian included suffering so for the then and there these people uh, this this church that we're studying this book of revelation millions were martyred and and in the book of acts something that we're seeing like they would even say like they were happy they were glad that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of jesus and i just think church I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom or nothing. But I think sometimes our creature comforts can kind of pull us away from the reality of the cost of picking up our cross and following Jesus. We should never forget, beloved, the cost of Jesus upon the cross, nor the cost, as Jesus himself said, count the costs. And if someday persecution may come, if someday that we might be challenged, we should not grow weary, no, nor should we back down. For King Jesus is a suffering Messiah, and he said, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. And just because we're far removed, I wish I could take every single person into a third world country and see what the church is like in the other areas. Where we, they don't always have air conditioner, where chickens run through the church service. There's dirt on the floor, you know, stuff like that. I mean, where there's people outside the walls that literally will kill some of them because they believe in Jesus. We're told in the book of Hebrews, um, it, it's like the close of the book, these final exhortations of like, hey, of all the things we talked about, hold these things near and dear to your heart. In chapter 13, starting in verse 1, the very first thing that the author wanted the body to know, let brotherly love continue. 
And number two, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Did you catch that? Do good to everybody because God might have sent an angel to you, and when you do good to them, they're going to go tell, hey, dad, guess what your, your servant down there did? Literally. I also wanted this verse to be here today that you would know that, yeah, the Satan dwelt there, but there's also good angels too. And there's more with us than there is with them. We read in Revelation chapter 12 in the beginning of this series that Satan only got a third. That means the Lord has two-thirds. And the Lord is the creator. The Lord can do whatever he wants to do. Um, so number one, let brotherly love continue. Number two, do good to everybody. Because, and also, hey, know this, you may be doing it, being good to an angel from heaven. And verse three, remember the prisoners. Remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are still suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. For doing the very thing that you and I are doing right now that we don't even bat an eye about. Or sometimes we might even think, hurry up, preacher, the ball game's on. Or something like that. You know, whatever. But the Bible says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body also. Remember them because they're our brothers and sisters. They, they are our families. The, the verse is like exhorting us. It's like a command, not a suggestion, to empathetically, like when you pray, like even let your mind try to feel how they would feel where they are. You're not going to, but if the idea is if you were in their shoes, what would you be crying out for? Pray for them as they would pray, but also pray being away from it, what, what praying over them. Satan was in Pergamos, but there are good angels too. So the church here is commended for its good, and Jesus assures them, I do, I know what you're going through, and, and hold on to the promises. Verse 14 goes on to say this, but I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. There was a false doctrine now who, that was allowed to be inside this church. We read about Balaam and Balak in Numbers 22 through 24. Also, we read of him in chapter 31 of the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy 23 talks about him as well. In the book of Joshua, he's brought up a few different times about problems. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and in the book of Jude, we read about his false doctrine also. What this guy did was he essentially prostituted his gift. He sold a gift that he had for personal gain. He taught the king, Balak, how to seduce Israel into idolatry. We can't get that. We can't curse those people, essentially what's being said. We cannot be an outside force that comes into the camp of God. But what we can do is I can teach you how to get them to sin within. And if you get them to sin from the inside, then their protection, their covering from God will be loosened up and what we read was 24,000 of them died because they, they played the harlot. 
They sacrificed to idols and they committed sexual immorality is what the Bible says. There were those who gave what God gave them and used it for personal gain. Sadly, we still see this today where some people take the gift of God and use it for power, fame, glory, all sorts of personal favors, even sexually or otherwise. Most theologians consider this church, the time in the, of history, to be called Constantine's uh, uh, church, or when the fall of early Catholicism started to go rampant. When lording over people crept in, when building walls between man and God, where, where the church, literally Constantine, wanting to remove the Greek translations of Scripture so that the people could have no fellowship with God, they translated everything into Latin, so he tried, but he failed miserably. They even tried to remove a bunch of the Hebrew text, but they wanted it to only be in the Latin so that the common person could not know the heart of God. And then a special order, a hierarchy in which they developed, could lord over people and tell them what they were supposed to do. Jesus says, that doctrine which I hate, in verse 15. We read about these ideas before. Uh, it's... Uh, but there's something I want you to know about here too. You know, this, in back in 14, it says, but I have a few things against you because you have there those, those people. Not all y'all, but you have those people. Every family, I hope it's not every, but it, the more I talk to people, the more it just seems to be common, that every family has one of those uncles. One of those aunts, one of those cousins, you know, one of those, you know what I'm saying? And it's almost like that's what Jesus, you got there, those, you know, I see them, kind of a thing. You know what, though? You can't throw away the whole family just because of those. You know what I'm saying? But also, please know this, you cannot throw away the church because of those in the church. And I say that because that was one of the tricks that Satan did to me growing up as a, a pastor's kid, that there were those, and there still is those, in the church. But just because there's a handful of those doesn't mean that everybody is. Please know this. There are still people who follow Jesus in the church. And there still are people who are those who have given in to Satan, who, who intentionally or unintentionally did it. However they did it, I don't care. But there, there's, well, I do care, but th there's right and there's wrong. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, just because there's those. The those were back in this day, too. And today we live in a world where a lot of us have been hurt by people in the church but it doesn't mean that everyone is bad. It, for me, when, I, when the, the hypocrisy and the, the attacks and the lies and the so many, the Calvinist, Arminianist argument and the Pentecostal arguments and all, like what, really? Like just all of these crazy things. I, I literally, I got to this place, the devil duped me, you know, where all men are liars. 
I said, everybody's a liar. You can trust nobody. And then I came across a verse in Psalms 116.11. I said in my haste, all men are liars. That's exactly what I said. Why? Because Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything more than this is of the evil one. So as a kid, when a Christian person would tell me something, they didn't do it. Jesus said they were of the evil one. That's where my mind went. Jesus said, your yes mean yes, your no mean no. Anything more than that is of the evil one. So if you said yes and you didn't do it, or if you said we were going to do this and we didn't do it, therefore, that makes you a liar, and Jesus said you are of Satan. So it's not my fault. You're a follower of Satan. That's where, that's where my head was. As a kid, that's where everything went. And I started seeing the hypocrisy and the stupidity and the manhandling and the abuse and all that kind of stuff that so many people did, and I started magnifying the negativity and I started walking away from the Lord. And the further and further and further I got away from the Lord, then everything, everything, everything over here looked more attractive. So I love this verse today because, yeah, there are those. But you know what? Something that I read today in this church of Pergamos, God says, I, I know your works. I, I know exactly what's going on. And I know that you stayed in the church even though there's dumb people in the church. Which I'm a pastor today. It's kind of crazy to say that. But, but it's true. The church is made up of sinners, not saints. We're made up of sinners that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're saints. <laughs> but our flesh is strong. Opinions and attitudes. And even good people make mistakes sometimes. I said in my haste, all men are liars. You know why? Because that verse is true. So let me just say this publicly. Every single one of y'all are hypocrite, and every single one of you are a liar, and so am I. We are. But, but that's why the outside world says, man, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're actually telling the truth. Because, because we profess the name of Jesus. We say, I'm Christian. I'm like Christ. And then we don't love like Christ. And then somebody says, hey, I need you to do this. And we're like, no way, you're taking away my rights. And they're like, yeah, that's what we thought those Christians might do. Ah. Remember how Gandhi even said, I, I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. I would suggest that they would become more like Jesus. There's a truth to that. I hate that. I hate that that's even said, but it's the truth. You know what? We need to forgive. People in God's house, we need to forgive one another. We need to let every root of bitterness, every bad history, anything that we think go. We need to measure it with the walking worthy of our calling as we learn in the book of Ephesians. Jesus Christ forgave you of the sins that you did today already. But sometimes we'll hold those again. Our brother, our sister had a bad day or they had a bad season or we saw them in a bad time and then we like stereotype people and say, well, I know what she's like. I know what he's like, all these kind of things. And you know what that does? That quenches the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's why you don't have any power. But, but we can end it all right now. We can tell Satan, no, I'm done. By just saying, God, forgive me of all of my sins. Remember when David said, try me, O God, and know me. Know my anxiety. See if there be any wicked way within me. It's because he knows there's things in my culture, there's things that I've done that I just did, and I moved on, and I didn't even know it, but I know that today, now I realize that these things are affecting me with you, and, and that, I, that, I, that I'm, we need, God, please forgive us. God, take my heart. God, God, help me to forgive. 
And, and I promise you, you know when Jesus said, hey, we got to forgive 70 times 7? You know, it, 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 sometimes that means 70 times 7 every day. And any time that thought of that person who did something bad to us, or like even when I was taken advantage of by people older than me sexually, even in a home Bible study. And when I think of stuff like that, or I think of other things that people did to my parents, or things that they did to me, or all the lies, and, and all the silly arguments, and the partial truths, and the divisions, and the hatred, and, and all this kind of stuff, or just straight up stupidity, that people that ought to know better just still don't know better. They're still babes in Christ, but they're considered to be pillars. That all these things that just create all these problems, or then I look at TV and it's, I got to be honest with you, I can't even watch most of the new stuff anymore. It's like, I, it just drives me crazy, like negativity, negative, negative. Well, this church did this. Well, that church did that. Well, this church did that. It's like, ah, yeah, it happens. But you know what? Souls are still being saved too. And the devil is still losing. He's still losing. But the world is just feeding us all this craziness. And the devil just comes alongside us and starts whispering us that it's always bad and it's not. Jesus said, hey, be of good cheer. I've, oh, this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And listen, Satan will pull us. He won't let us do that. The solution is, God, please forgive me. And God, what are the wrongs that I have inside of me? And just pray those things fast, maybe, even to help you to get to this place of God, try me and know me. The Lord is faithful. He is just. He will reveal to the things that are in, stuck inside of you that are taking up memories inside your own life. And then we got to throw those things on the altar. we got to sacrifice them to God. Because God, help me to forgive so-and-so. Help me to forgive so-and-so. Or even verbalize it out loud. I forgive so-and-so. And maybe you can't even say what they did. But, but church, it's healthy. It's good for us. It's releasing it. And sometimes you're releasing the power of somebody who's not even in your life anymore. And sometimes people who are dead in their grave are still haunting us because we're not forgiving them. And they did bad things to us, but they're dead. But the memory of them is still killing us from the inside and it's quenching the Holy Spirit who is inside us, who wants to be released. And like the, he's roaring like a lion, like the song we sing. Like he's wanting to come out, but we're covering him with, with literally sin. Their sin bred sin into our life because we're clinging to it, we're holding it. It's not a sin that's going to make you go to hell, no. It's a sin of disobedience that's hindering the work of the Holy Spirit inside of our life. So we must stop. We must go into our prayer closets. We must spend time praying, God, try me and know me. God, see me. Because there are those still in the church and those in our life in our past, and there will be more in the future, beloved. I wish it wasn't true, but it just is. We're in a fallen world, and dumb things happen all the time. We, we need to get to this place. I'm, I got to do this all the time. The people and stuff that I've forgiven in, 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 in the past, and, and then all of a sudden, this a fiery dart just comes in, and like, well, I was done with that one. And the devil's like, oh, no, you're not. And he just beats me over the head with a two-by-four. God, help me to forgive so-and-so. God, I forgive so-and-so. God, I forgive so-and-so. And sometimes I just got to say it. God, I forgive so-and-so. It, it, it's, it's medicine. It's spiritual medicine to us to let the burden go. There are those. There are those. But there's more with the Lord than there are with those. Verse 15 says, 
Thus you also have those who hold to another false doctrine, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We studied about that in the first church, the, the laity to conquer people. Um, verse 16 goes on to say, repent or else I will come quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of the mouth. You know what I love about this? He didn't say, I'm going to fight against you. He said, I'm going to fight against them. You stay close to me, I will deal with them. He, Jesus also didn't say, I'll remove your candlestick. He didn't say that. He just said, you know, repent or else I'm going to come and fight against them. The command is to repent, to repent, to repent, to let it go. This section closes in verse 17, to him or to her who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name which no one knows except him who receives it. The hidden manna, because I'm running short for time and I want to close with this song, that we might worship Jesus because he's worthy to be worshipped. Amen? Maranatha. That we would worship Jesus as he is worthy to be worshipped. But Jesus says, I'll give, if the overcomer, I'll give some of the hidden manna. This could be some of the manna that's in the golden pot that's in the ark right now. Could be. Or God could have a storehouse full of manna. But he promises us that he's going to give us the manna. You make y'all's remember what the manna? Y'all's? I think that's a real world. But he has a storehouse of manna. Manna is what the children of Israel ate when they were given provision by God. This testifies of past provision. This testifies of future provision, beloved. God will give the overcomer that hidden manna. God will also give this person a white stone. In the Old Testament, there was the ermine and the thermon in which the priests, they would seek the will of God. Pulling out a, a light stone or a, a dark stone would be the, be the answer. Could be that. I like the title stone of acceptance. In the ancient times, the judgments were made by light stone and dark stone also. Also, in the Olympic Games, something really interestingly was done that happened within the Roman culture. Remember, they put the wreath, you know, on their head. But the victor, the first place person, was also given a white stone. It was called um, an invitation to the victor's banquet. And I don't know if that's what Jesus was referring to. I think it actually refers to the stone of acceptance. But in an apl a secondary application sense, the church is invited to the victor's banquet to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb because he is victorious. The stone of acceptance that has a new name on it in which no one knows except him who receives it. You know, God changing our name is kind of like a normal thing, thing biblically. Saul to Paul. Jacob to Israel, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Simon to Peter, the early, and, and on and on and on. But the early church did it also with Jose to Barnabas, Silas to Titus, and we could go on. But you know what? Jesus is still doing that today because all of us were once known as a sinner. And today, you get, by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're his saint. We once were dead men walking. We learned that in the book of Ephesians, but now we are alive. Jesus said that we can be born again. We're, we're given new names, but in heaven, how amazing is this? That my personal belief is that this is a term of endearment, that Jesus writes an individual name for every single person, and he gives it to them, and, and that, that term of endearment is only between that person and Jesus. Some theologians think that it could be the name of Jesus, that he was for them, 
like he was their healer, Jehovah Rapha, or he was Jehovah Sidkenu, he was their righteousness. He, it could be that too, but it's still, if, even if it's that, it's still of a term of endearment that the Bible says only the person who receives it knows that. There is a special one-on-one relationship. And the worship team could come up, I'm really wrapping up. That, 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 um, y'all think about this though. To the overcomer, the one who stays faithful to Jesus, Jesus gives them of the hidden manna, and then he gives them a white stone, and on that stone, there is a new name which no one knows, no one other than you who receive it. That's something intimate between you and Jesus. I'm reading a book right now where it's just it's stretching my mind about, uh, about ways to think, like we get out of our culture and think more in the then and there than in the here and now. I love it for that. But one of the things that was said, and, and, I, and I just love this, it, 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 it said, you know, we all ask this question when a pregnant mommy has their baby. Or when we hear of a brother that, hey, my wife just had her baby. You know what one of the first questions that we ask is? is, it, is it got, it's got ten fingers and ten toes? You know, right? We ask that. It's like, kind of like a normal question which we ask. But you know what Jesus or what God thinks of you? I know the very hairs of your head. He said, We've, we look at fingers and toes, and he's like, I'm a, I'm a thousand times that. I know the very hairs of your head, or my chinny-chin-chin. Chin. Um, and, and just this morning, I was just, or yesterday rather, I was just kind of praying and thinking this went over. You know, a good mommy comes and kisses our boo-boo, wipes the tears from our, or puts a Band-Aid on it first, and then kisses the boo-boo, right? And then wipes our tears from our eyes. You know, God holds your tears in a bottle. Every one of them that you've ever cried, he still has them. Parents have memory books and pictures in which we take to remember our kids. We, we put their feet in ink and we put them in a piece of paper in their hands and we, we do different things to have these memories of, of these memory books and things. But of God, the Bible says that his good thoughts towards us are more than the sand of the sea. Wise parents store up for their children's children an inheritance. But God says, but I'll give you eternity. Oh, the God that we serve. The God that we serve. The amazing love in which he has for us. The care that he has for you. That he will give you personally of that manna. And personally, he will give you that white stone. And and on that stone, no one will know the name other than you and him. Because he loves you that much. If in any way, shape, or form you feel like you are not walking with Jesus or somehow you are disconnected, today could be a day of change. That if, if, you were, if you knew, man, I'm not with Jesus, but I wanted to be with Jesus, or you feel this leading in your heart or your back, whatever. Sometimes you get these tingles like, oh, like I gotta, I gotta go to God right now. I'm not in the place I'm supposed to be. Whatever that might mean, I would encourage you to just say this. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for all the things that I've made it. I'm sorry for the things that I've thought. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. I pray that that your spirit would come into my life. I pray that you would have me. There are things in my life that I'm holding on to that I can't let go. God, help me to let them go. Give me a new heart. Help me to forgive. Help me to let go.
create in me a clean heart. I believe that Jesus died upon the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he is coming back one day. I believe that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.